This week on Not Sam Wrestling, Super Showdown is starting to take shape. The XFL is officially back. Chelsea Green is my guest, along with her manager, Robert Stone. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Here we are. Welcome. Happy Monday. Let's start the week, huh? Let's do it right. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, the only wrestling podcast hosted by the last professional broadcaster, the man with his ear to the pavement, Scoops, yours truly, Sam Roberts. And it's been a big week. Super Showdown, XFL. Some SmackDown reviewing to get to. Controversial comments by Matt Riddle. Shocker. At an NXT house show. We'll get into all of it. I know a lot of you had questions. I saw, you know, and I I, I look at all the feedback and response that I get on the podcast. It means a lot to me. You guys have been riding with me for five years now. More, I guess, probably. Almost 300 episodes. More so than, or 300 weeks. More than 300 episodes. More than most wrestling podcast that's for sure so I pay attention to you guys and we made the move a little bit of a controversial move but we made the move over to Patreon for Thursday Not Sam Thursday of course uh, the show moved to twice a week when October hit and NXT hit the USA Network and AEW debuted and everything we just figured there was so much to cover twice a week would be good and I know how much a lot of you guys like the topical stuff but We decided this week to move Thursday, Not Sam Thursday exclusively to Patreon. Everybody that's a Not Sam shill has access to it. No matter what level you start at, you get Thursday, Not Sam Thursday. So it's less than a dollar a week. Uh, It doesn't cost much. But still, a lot of people were like, well, I don't want to subscribe to Patreon. And I was really listening to the topicals for the topical stuff. So I'm pretty pissed about it, which I get. But. Keep in mind, we're still going to be doing topical stuff on the Monday show. We're going to be doing the Monday show as we've always done the Monday show. We're going to have an interview. We're going to have topical stuff. It's going to be great. But going forward, maybe I'll start with a with a news story so that you guys keep faith that the uh, topical stuff will keep coming. And before we get to Chelsea Green, who will have Robert Stone with her, of course, and I do have a fun story about how that interview came about, uh, Super Showdown really started to take shape this week more than I thought it would. A lot of times, you know, lately pay-per-views, they don't, we don't have weeks of buildup with at least multiple matches. It's not necessarily a shocker that your two main events would get announced, especially for an international pay-per-view this early. But it is uh, not as typical that you'd have one, two, three, four matches already announced, and probably more to come. Uh, Of course, you've got the tag title locked up. New Day, SmackDown Tag Team Championship, New Day versus uh, the Dirt Sheet Boys, Miz and Morrison uh, at Super Showdown. I absolutely, and we won't, like, this isn't a full Super Showdown preview, obviously. We'll do that the show before Super Showdown. But, I mean, I, I I would be surprised if Miz and Morrison didn't win the Tag Team Championship at Super Showdown. I think that that's what's in the cards for Miz and Morrison right now. You know, I don't know why you... Miz needs something. He had a terrible 2019. He's trying to rebuild 2020. 
Morrison is back. We, I mean, there, there's got to be some reason that we brought John Morrison back. If not for those two to be the tag team champions, I don't know what it is. So I would assume that we will see a tag team title change at Super Showdown. Uh, you got Roman Reigns versus Baron Corbin. This time it's in a steel cage. Look, after every Baron Corbin, Roman, Re- Roman Reigns match, I say on this podcast, and I know a lot of you agree with it. I think we got the end of the story. Hopefully that'll be it. And lo and behold, SmackDown shows up and another match is announced. Even after SmackDown last week, when Roman Reigns got dog food poured all over him, I said, clearly, that's the end of the story. I don't know where uh, uh, Baron Corbin has to go after that. He's been beaten now. He's been humiliated. Dog food poured all over him. But shows up on SmackDown, pouring uh, uh, drinks all over Roman Reigns fans, beating up Tex. In the Mike Mansuri production truck, you know, Roman Reigns has to take care of business. They're going to do it at Super Showdown. Um, I'm not sitting here going, oh, great, another Roman Reigns-Baron Corbin match. I'm also not sitting here going, hmm, I wonder who's going to win that one. Like, you know, clearly we know what's happening. I don't know what it is about Baron Corbin that the WWE insists that he cannot have one match with a person. If Baron Corbin is going to have a match with somebody, he's got to have... 38 matches with the person. Baron Corbin should be wrestling all the time. However, I think spicing up the opponents a little bit might help. You know, now it's almost like you, you, you're you kind of cringing, thinking who's Baron Corbin going to be in a rivalry next? Because I would imagine that means that for six months, we're going to get pay-per-view matches of those two. I have naively said this about previous Baron Corbin-Roman Reigns matches. But I would assume that their battle at the Super Showdown will be the last battle. You know, in the modern era, not so much. But traditionally speaking, a steel cage match is designed so that an opponent cannot escape. And his cronies cannot interfere. Therefore, you would think that that we would get a conclusive conclusion at the end of this match. That said, Roman Reigns and and Brock Lesnar had a, I believe, had a steel cage match at a at a international pay per view, and it and it didn't it wasn't quite so conclusive. However, I can't imagine that we're going to WrestleMania with Roman Reigns versus Baron Corbin. That's why I think this is probably going to be it. You know, I think it's interesting that they're shipping an entire steel cage all the way over to Saudi Arabia. At least the fact that it's in a steel cage will make it look a little different. It is what it is. You know, I'm fine with it. I don't know. I'm not I'm not looking. I was hoping we were going to get a Goldberg Baron Corbin match, but I also don't think that uh Super Showdown is the uh fresh coat of paint pay-per-view. I don't think that's when we kind of spice things up and refresh things. That's more of the of the spectacle, right? I think going into WrestleMania is when more new stories will be told. I think that that's part of it. I think that whatever Roman Reigns is going into WrestleMania with I wouldn't be surprised if it's The Fiend. I would think that that story can't be told now because we're going to tell that story leading into WrestleMania, not Super Showdown. And we don't want to start a brand new story that's going to last three weeks. So in the meantime, let's just do Baron Corbin versus Roman Reigns, which is fine. It is what it is. And Roman Reigns will win and uh, they'll be cheering for him and he'll, he'll win a cage match and it'll be great. Uh, Speaking of people who are already on their road to WrestleMania, 
You've got Brock Lesnar, who's got his WrestleMania opponent confirmed, Drew McIntyre. And I, for one, am glad that they didn't rush. Like, they're not... Because I think there was some concern from fans that the WWE was going to uh, rush forward to uh, put WrestleMania matches at Super Showdown. That that maybe whoever won the Men's Royal Rumble, maybe Drew McIntyre would challenge Brock Lesnar and say, I want it done at Super Showdown. Maybe whatever would happen. Stuff that we thought was going to be settled at WrestleMania that maybe we were actually looking forward to was going to be blown off at Super Showdown because they wanted that show to be big. Um, They're not doing that. Ricochet is getting the title shot. And again, nobody, not one person, thinks that Ricochet is going to beat Brock Lesnar. But you know what? We're going to have a Brock Lesnar match at Super Showdown. That's a given. It's one of the big shows of the year. Brock Lesnar's going to be wrestling at it. And if you already know that you're going to WrestleMania with Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre, and you're building Drew McIntyre to be this great good guy, and you're building Brock Lesnar to be this great bad guy, why not take somebody like Ricochet, who is the underdog, all the fans are behind. We've seen the story done a million times. Everybody loves Ricochet. Everybody wants to believe that maybe... You know, this is going to be Ricochet's moment. Maybe there is this chance. And then to watch Brock Lesnar just demolish him and prove that size does matter and allow Goliath to destroy David. All it's going to do is build up more hatred for Brock Lesnar. And all it's going to do is have more people booing Brock Lesnar and then cheering Drew McIntyre as we head to WrestleMania. So I think that's the move to make. I think it's a lot better to make that move than to make a move where you're doing like, you know, I don't know, Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles or something, where you go, oh, this is going to be a great match, and maybe AJ will get the win. You know Ricochet's not going to get the win. We're not complicating the WrestleMania story. All we're doing is adding a little spice to it because we hate Brock Lesnar a little more because he beat Ricochet. So I'm not mad at that. Uh, And the big controversial one, the one that has the most people talking, advertisements came out on Monday. It said Goldberg is going to be on SmackDown to announce who's next. Goldberg showed up on SmackDown via satellite and announced The Fiend, you're next. He said he's watching the Royal Rumble with his kid. He's seeing The Fiend. He started to get that itch. He wanted to get back in the ring. So it's Super Showdown. He wants the Universal Championship back, and he's going to beat The Fiend to get it. He's interrupted by Bray Wyatt Wyatt doing the damn thing in the Firefly Funhouse, making fun of Goldberg, calling him Beal. I thought the the inclusion of the Firefly Funhouse stuff was great. You know, I love when a legend comes back and there is uh, an opponent for him that is credible enough that we're not all sitting there and just considering it an exhibition for Goldberg. I love that there's somebody like Bray Wyatt who can come on and be disrespectful to Goldberg's return. That we can sit there and go, oh my God, it's a big deal. Just to have Goldberg speaking on SmackDown is a big deal. And for Bray Wyatt to come on, make fun of him, say, I'm not impressed, and The Fiend is going to destroy you at Super Showdown. That's what I want out of my legends. Now, people are looking at this uh, with some concern, right? Because obviously you go, well, Brock Lesnar's not going to win. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, Goldberg's not going to win 
the Universal Championship, right? He's not going to go and beat The Fiend. Like, they've been building The Fiend for all this time. It's not just to beat, be beaten by Goldberg at Super Showdown, right? We said the same thing about Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens was beaten in seconds. What? You got to be kidding me. Only to lead towards a Goldberg-Brock Lesnar match at WrestleMania. Now look, there is the chance that we've all been duped and swerved and that the WWE said to themselves, look, if the main event for WrestleMania on the SmackDown side, if the Universal Championship match for WrestleMania is Roman Reigns versus The Fiend, we run the risk of having Roman Reigns get booed. What if WWE has decided we're going to WrestleMania with Goldberg versus Roman Reigns? It's possible. We could conceivably see Goldberg go to Super Showdown, be the one guy who's beaten The Fiend, and then go on to WrestleMania and have him lose the Universal title to Roman Reigns. That way Roman Reigns doesn't uh, damage one of the most popular characters on SmackDown and let Goldberg take all the heat for that. It's possible. It's conceivable. I don't see it happening. I'll tell you why. And I'm, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. You guys know that from listening to this show, from watching the videos on YouTube. You know I'm an optimist when it comes to this stuff. Many times I'm proven wrong, but I'm still an optimist. People are worried about this match because of the potential of having Goldberg beat The Fiend. I am excited about this match because of the potential of having The Fiend destroy Bill Goldberg. I don't think either way we're going to have a match that is an extremely long match. You know, it doesn't seem like this is one of those things that Goldberg has been working for and working for and working for. We know Goldberg keeps himself in good shape. You, we know that Goldberg is going to be able to go out there and do his thing because he's done it before. But there's a difference between keeping yourself in good enough shape that you can go out there every now and then and Goldberg it up and being ready to do a 25-minute match that could go either way. I think that whoever wins this match is going to win it quickly and is going to win it decisively. And I think that it is in everybody's best interest, the WWE's best interest, everybody's best interest to go out there and really make it count, really show the world that The Fiend is not messing around. It's one thing to beat Seth Rollins. It's one thing to beat Finn Balor. It's one thing to beat Daniel Bryan. It's one thing to beat The Miz. He took out Kane, took out The King, took out Mick Foley. But when we see him beat the man who beat Brock Lesnar, Goldberg beat Brock Lesnar. When we see The Fiend beat him, not only does it make it so The Fiend is not just a fun character to watch. This is where we can cement that The Fiend is downright unbeatable, that he's not just beating the current roster. He's beating everybody. And if he beats Brock uh, uh, Goldberg decisively, then The Fiend is able to go to WrestleMania and have the audience say, maybe Roman Reigns won't beat him. And if The Fiend does beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, if that's the match that happens at WrestleMania, then the fact that he beats Goldberg will maybe mean, well, look, of course Roman Reigns lost to The Fiend. 
The Fiend's beaten everybody. I am very much looking forward to this match because I want to see Bill Goldberg lose to The Fiend. And the only way to see that happen is to have the match happen. I'm not one of these guys that's going to sit there and not want to see the match because I'm worried that Goldberg is going to win. No. I want to see the match because I badly want to see The Fiend embarrass Bill Goldberg. And I think it's time for that. We've watched Goldberg mow through enough people. He mowed through Kevin Owens, as I said. He mowed through Dolph Ziggler. I mean, humiliated Dolph Ziggler at SummerSlam. Spear after spear, beating him in 11 seconds. It was ridiculous. Let's have someone on the current roster that is better than the stars of yesteryear. Let's have somebody on the current roster that if John Cena were to come back today, we could say, yeah, John Cena's the best, but I don't know if he can beat that guy. Let's make it the fiend. Let's tell the world, all the people that are lapsed fans, all the people that watched during the Attitude Era, that watched during the Ruthless Aggression Era, that know who the household name of Goldberg is. Let's tell them, hey, I don't know if you heard about this guy, The Fiend. He looks like a horror movie monster. He can't be beaten. By the way, he just beat Bill Goldberg in a minute. That's what I want to see. Would Goldberg sign up for something like that? I don't know. I hope so. Goldberg doesn't have anything to lose here, okay? Goldberg, he's got it. His status is cemented. Goldberg could lose to The Fiend in 30 seconds. And in six months, Goldberg could come back and still have a headline match because he's Goldberg. He beat Hogan in Atlanta. We're good after that. I mean, the botch job that WCW did on Goldberg's career after that, the latter part of Goldberg's career in WCW, not good. That year that he did in WWE, it was okay. Probably the first six months were all right. And the last six months were not great. The Ruthless Aggression Era Goldberg was not the same Goldberg. And I don't know if that's WWE's fault or I don't know if that's Goldberg's fault or maybe a combination of both. But the point is, the Goldberg's had his ups and downs. Goldberg can lose. And in a striking fashion and still not be hurt whatsoever in terms of the long-term value of Goldberg. For Goldberg to beat The Fiend, that would be a hill that Bray Wyatt would have to climb. And it would be a, a hill that you'd be making the fans climb. The fans have invested in The Fiend. I don't know how many masks you're selling, how many t-shirts you're selling, how many mystery Bray Wyatt boxes you're selling. I don't know how many people spent $7,000 on that Tom Savini exact replica. It's probably people spending 500 bucks on the replica replica. But I'll bet there's some that spent the seven grand on the real replica. I kind of want the $500 version. Maybe I get it for the desk. Maybe I get a Planets Champion title too. Just get all the, all the offshoots. But look, I think it's a good thing. And I want to see The Fiend embarrass Bill Goldberg at the end of this month. 
at Super Showdown. Let's get to this week's interview. So this week on the podcast, you know from the title of the show, we've got Chelsea Green, and she's with Robert Stone. Now, I've known Robert Stone for years. I've had him on my show on Sirius. I've had him on this podcast multiple times. Um, and what I find so interesting about this guy is that we're all so smart in this era of wrestling, right? We're all, we all know everything that's going on. We're, we're so smart. We're so hip to everything. We know that when Robert Stone comes out with Chelsea Green on NXT TV, that's because Triple H and the writers just put them together and made these make-believe kayfabe storyline, whatever lingo you want to use characters, and, uh, and created some fictional television for us. Right? Of course, right? This is not a storyline interview. This is not a fake storyline story. I'm not one of these podcast guys that try to kayfabe you guys so that I can feel like I'm part of the story too. I think it, no, that's not what we're doing here. I see that happen. It's ridiculous. That's not what we're doing here, okay? What I'm sitting here telling you is the 100% truth. Robert Stone, or as he is in my phone, Robbie E, texted me the night after he debuted with Chelsea Green on NXT TV. And he goes, bro, we got to get Chelsea on the podcast. I was like, what? Like you're actually doing Chelsea's interview booking? He goes, bro, we got to get Chelsea on the podcast. We got to get all my clients on. As I I get more clients, we got to get them on the podcast too. I'm like, how lucky are these performers that they got a, a guy? I mean, most people would probably sit there and go, I'm playing your manager. That's the role that I'm playing on television. This Robert Stone brand takes it 100% seriously to the point that he is booking interviews for them. Okay? He's he's he he goes, "Okay, no, no, I'm signing you to my brand." I saw him in Houston at the Royal Rumble. They are together all the time, Chelsea Green and Robert Stone. Okay? All the time. I mean, look, if I was married to Zack Ryder, I'd probably want to be, or, or engaged to Zack Ryder, I'd probably want to be around somebody else all the time as well. But Robert Stone takes this 100% seriously. Robbie E., whatever you want to call him, Rob, takes this 100% seriously. And when he reached out to me, I said, yeah, in a heartbeat, of course I would interview Chelsea. I find Chelsea so fascinating. Look at the career of Chelsea Green, man. This is a woman who's had to work for every inch. I love people who have had to work for every inch. And I recognize it because I don't think enough people really recognize it. Unless you paint this like wonderful narrative and can put it in like a Twitter profile, nobody gives you credit. Nobody sits there and like really thinks about the journey that you've been on and how much work you had to do to get into the position that you're in, okay? First exposure to Chelsea Green was like a lot of you guys on WWE Tough Enough on the on the most recent season that was on the USA Network. It's on the WWE Network now. But you look at that Tough Enough class, you got Sonya Deville, you got Mandy Rose, you got uh, uh, a Velveteen Dream. The only people I feel like that didn't make it from that season of Tough Enough were the winners. <laughs> Sarah Lee and the Yeti and Mata. Mata didn't make it either. But I think a lot of them got signed. I think Mata got signed at some point. 
That was the one that uh, I think uh, uh, Booker T and Billy Gunn and Lita, I want to say, were the coaches. And Hulk Hogan, Paige, and Daniel Bryan were the judges. Halfway through the season, Hulk Hogan was replaced by The Miz. But Chelsea Green came on to that season as an alternate. One of the people, oh, and the and the and and another one of the women who ended up in TNA was also on that show. Um, but Chelsea Green ended up as an alternate. She came on as one of the few people who had wrestling experience. Um, she ended up not winning. Not only though did she end up not winning tough enough, but she didn't even get a developmental deal that a lot of the people that didn't win tough enough got. She got nothing from WWE. It was back to the drawing board for Chelsea Green. So Chelsea Green goes. Joins him Impact Wrestling as what was it Laurel Von Ness I want to say, and you know people at first were like oh is that that girl from Tough Enough, and she ended up pushing and pushing and pushing at a time when Impact was not the biggest thing in the world, and making a name for herself as this hot mess you know bride character, which was a great character and it was enough of a character that people were talking about it and people became aware of it. Years go by, and she finally ends up getting signed to NXT. Months go by, if not a year goes by, and she finally ends up on WWE TV. I mean, you talk about not never quitting, never say die, keep getting better, keep pushing, keep trying. To me, that's Chelsea Green, and uh, I became very, very interested in that story. Anybody that's got a story like that, I'm very interested in, and I want to know more about. So that's what we got into. Of course, we were joined by the one and only Robert Stone. Here it is, my guest this week on the podcast, accompanied by her manager, representative, branding agent. I don't know who he is. Robert Stone, ladies and gentlemen, this is NXT star Chelsea Green. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. You know... When you turn on NXT, or really in the history of wrestling, we see managers, we see representatives, and, you know, as you get older and you start to learn the way wrestling works and you assume that this is just a person who accompanies a person to the ring and they're putting on a show, but I don't think that this is always the case because I got a text, and this is true, this is not storyline, this is not me trying to fabricate something, I got a text from Robert Stone asking if I would have his client on the podcast. I said, of course, you know, it was a no brainer, but I didn't realize how seriously Robert Stone was taking all this. So Robert, welcome to you. And I'm assuming you would like to introduce your client properly. Yeah. But before we get to any of that, I just, you started that introduction with questioning why I would take it serious. Why wouldn't I take it serious? How long have you known me now? I mean, years, years. This is my life, Yeah, Sam. You know that. I do. And I also know, and you also know, that this interview, this is pretty big for you right now. Because I know you get nervous when you're around certain people, but you're about to have on your show the future of women's wrestling in 2020 and beyond Chelsea Green. And here she is. Well, Robert, Chelsea, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to have this on my show. Chelsea, what's the haps? You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? It's fantastic. Chelsea Green, 
you are are absolutely having a moment. I feel like people have been waiting uh, to see what you were going to do in NXT, basically since NXT showed up on the USA Network in October, but for some of us even before that probably, uh, for you to show up in the Royal Rumble, have your moment, have your entrance, what was it like? I mean, I have been waiting for that moment now for a year and a half. Um, I've been at NXT working day in and day out at the PC, you know, waiting for this opportunity. So um, to finally be given it, honestly, it was about time. Um, I have pushed and kind of shoved my way to the top throughout my entire career, and NXT is is no different. Yeah, I mean, so you, I think made the biggest splash amongst the biggest number of viewers in your time and impact. And, and you developed this character, the hot mess. When you come to NXT and it's time to say goodbye to the hot mess, how difficult is that for you to do? Well, here's what, so people tell me or ask me that all the time, but the hot mess lives on in so many other ways. The hot mess is not just the drunk bride that was left at the altar. The hot mess is your crazy ex-girlfriend. The hot mess is the girl that beats up every other girl in the locker room. The hot mess is whatever you make of it. So you are going to see the hot mess again. It'll just be in a completely different light. And I'm excited for that. We just don't know when she shows up. Well, I'll just I'll just say the hot mess definitely lives in her because I see it pretty much daily now that she's Chelsea got closer. And if you saw that slip-up win that Caden Carter had, yeah. Wednesday and NXT. I mean, you kind of saw the hot mess come out a little bit. I was scared in the ring a little bit. I don't know about you. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I guess when, when when no matter what character you're playing, it's a piece of your personality. It all becomes just an evolution of who you are as a performer, right? That's exactly it. And it has been the evolution of the hot mess because the hot mess just started out as um, a mean girl, just a typical mean girl and evolved into all the other aspects that has, it has been in the past six years. So let's go back even further, right? Because you showed up on Tough Enough on the USA Network as an alternate, which is not the easiest place to be, but also you showed up on Tough Enough as one of the few people on that show who actually had some wrestling background and was a wrestling fan, and you were competing against people that weren't from that world. Um, did you expect win or lose tough enough to roll into a WWE contract like it did for so well, many people immediately? First of all, I expected to win. Right. I'm not going to lie. I completely went into it. To, and, and why wouldn't I? I was the only female wrestler. Um, so not only did I have like the skill set, but I also had the knowledge that nobody else had. So in all of the challenges, I was one step ahead of everybody. So I expected to win. Um, and then when I was voted off and it was actually like a mishap between Paige and the Miz. And that's the reason why I was kicked off. Um, yeah, of course I expected to end up at NXT much sooner than I did. However, I wasn't going to sit on my ass and just wait for an opportunity. Um, I wanted to take the ball and roll with it. And so within months of being kicked off of tough enough, I had a try out at impact. Um, I was speaking to, you know, people at Ring of Honor, um, I was on my way to stardom. So I didn't let it stop me. When you were kicked off Tough Enough, was it kind of like this rude awakening that, wait, 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 the way things work in sports entertainment isn't always exactly 
the way I see things going or the way I think things are fair? A hundred percent. But I think I had that rude awakening my first week on Tough Enough. Mm -hmm. That's when I realized, oh my God, I, I was so naive because I was only in wrestling in Canada. Right. And I got this huge break, like being on Raw as Megan Miller's physical therapist and then uh, being asked it back to numerous tryouts and then to be on Tough Enough. I had never had that exposure. So I had no idea that this is how the world of wrestling worked. Um, and I think everyone adjusted to it a little better than I did because I went into it as a wrestler, not as an entertainer. Ah. So it was kind of it was very eye opening that first week. And then it's like, OK, I. I better keep up, you know, I, this is not just about me being able to roll around in the ring. This is about so much more. Right. So you had these expectations going in, which ended up being a disadvantage because your expectations weren't exactly what it was. Whereas all the other people going in with no expectations were completely yes. malleable and had the, whatever it was, three week head start on you anyway. Of course. And, and like any reality show, there's producers and, you know, people are planting bugs in your ears. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I want this job. I'm not going to listen to the, what this producer is saying. I'm not going to, you know, take that and like go start a fight because I want this job. I want them to see that I'm likable, that I can work, you know, with everybody and that I'm friends with everybody or can play up to people's advantages. And that was my downfall. Right. Because you didn't realize that half the test was making good TV and getting into fights with people. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> if I were to do this now, I would do it so differently. Like I would totally play up to everything they wanted me to play up to. Hot mess on the whole. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I would have a drink in hand the entire time. <laughs> so when you start moving off and doing other stuff, when you start doing shimmer and when you start doing impact and when you start doing, when you start really, kind of coming into your own on the independence and other organizations and you start kind of, you know, seeing what's going on with the people that you are on the show with and realizing how many of these tough enough castmates are kind of getting developmental deals and getting tryouts and, and, and that losing on that show wasn't actually losing on that show for a lot of them. Did you, were you confused by it? Were you like, you know what, let them do their thing. It's going to motivate me more. Were you bitter about it at the time? Well, I want to say I wasn't bitter, but of course I spent like two weeks being bitter. But right. then there was nothing I could do. Like, I I think the, the biggest kind of moment for me when I was like, oh, wow, everyone got signed but me was when Vanessa Borden got signed because a lot of people don't know. Vanessa was an alternate with me. That's how we met. Vanessa wow. was at the tryout. Both of us were alternates, but I got chosen. And then she got signed and it was like, oh my God, okay, wow. I must've really done something wrong. But after two weeks, the opportunities that were coming in from it were amazing and things that I couldn't turn down, um, especially as a Canadian, trying to leave Canada and get out is so hard on the independent scene. Um, so when I got that impact tryout and knew I was going to start, I'm, I'm like, well, what more could I want? Right. I'm, I'm still moving up in the ranks. Maybe I'm not at NXT, but maybe that'll work out for me. And now looking back on it, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better in my career than to be sent to Japan and to have all these multiple tryouts and to travel around the world because I would not be in the position I'm at in NXT had I not done that. Right. And now you're seasoned and now you've seen everything. And now instead of 
going in and getting, you know, trained from scratch at the performance center, you can almost go in as like a finishing school. And right, because nobody else can say that they have already main evented pay-per-views and matches and had a match versus Pentagon. Right. (laughs) None of these other girls can say that, right? Like I have so much under my belt and on my resume that you cannot deny the fact that I should be at the top of NXT. Yeah, it's really sad because her credentials are way better than mine. So just saying no one can say that stuff. I'm just sitting here like feeling smaller and smaller. But well, that's I mean, Robert Stone. That's why you don't you don't wrestle anymore. That's why you have moved into the role that you're in. Exactly. <laughs> then, why, do you, why do you think Why do you think I asked her to join my brand? Right, right, right. Now you've got a brand, and Chelsea's got a can is wrestling, and and it's and it's the way everything should be. So, exactly. so how did uh, did you get to a place where you were like, you know what, maybe I don't end up in NXT? Because I would imagine, well, let's go, you brought up uh, coming from Canada. And I would imagine that the hardest part about getting out of Canada is not just getting noticed by the American scene, but also the whole work visa thing. Like, you can't just be a Canadian who comes to the States every weekend and, and does that. Like, you have to figure out some form of American employment in order to be on the American scene, right? Yeah, people don't understand how hard it is because that's just it. Everyone thinks that, and even Americans think that Canadians can just walk across the border and wrestle. That's not the case. Surprisingly, Americans can walk across the border and wrestle in Canada with no visa, Uh but we can't do the opposite. So I actually had to lock down a job with impact before I had a visa, tell them I had a visa, I got the job, and then I got a visa. That's how it worked. Um, wow. They probably still don't even know that, <laughs> that I told them I had a visa and didn't. And and I literally, within a month, had a visa in my hand and, and I just told them it was in the process. And But it was really, really tough. I spent thousands and thousands of dollars. I've probably spent $20,000 in visas. Wow. Just yeah. just to get the opportunity to be seen by the by just to be seen. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and those visas don't really allow me to work just all over the independence. You have to have one job. So right. I, I risked a lot just going into America to try to be seen. So when you realize that it's working out right, that this path that is totally different from the people that you probably came up with in Canada, this path that is completely different than anybody else that was on Tough Enough with you, that this path is actually working, that you're actually making this name for yourself, that you're actually, that you have this career. You're a title holder. You're wrestling in multiple organizations. You're on television. You're on pay-per-view. Just like you were saying, like you're building this list of credentials. Do you get to a point where you go, you know what? If I don't, even though WWE and NXT is where I want to be, there is this life that could exist without it. Well, the funny thing is, is I never got to that place because this was always my goal. So I wanted to make sure whatever happened after I got here, I didn't mind as much, but I needed to get here for myself. I also didn't exactly see the light at the end of the tunnel. There is more of that hope maybe now that we have AEW, but that wasn't necessarily the case right before I got here. We're talking two years ago, right? Right. So there, you know, Lucha Underground was was kind of diminishing a little bit. And Impact was, I was at the highest point of my career and I still kept thinking about WWE and NXT. And um, I just 
I couldn't get it off my mind. Um, and I actually had to beg for my last tryout at NXT. Yeah, I, I actually had to send multiple emails to say, I want another tryout. And there's, I, there's no reason why you will not hire me after this tryout. And that was the tryout that they hired me from. That was my third or fourth tryout. How do you keep your confidence? I mean, I, I think that that is a problem that so many people would have. You know, becoming okay with rejection maintaining your confidence and being able to go back and saying, okay, I know I got rejected. Give me another chance. Okay. Give me another chance. Okay. I know you're not asking. Give me yeah. another chance. Like that's really difficult for a lot of people to pull off, especially with the attitude that you had, which is okay. Give me a tryout and you will hire me. <laughs> well, I had those moments of course, but I was very lucky in my career. I would say every six months or so, I had a major kind of like stepping stone up in my career. So, you know, I, I first started wrestling and then six months later I was on raw and six months after that, I had a tryout six months after that I was on tough enough right after that. I had an impact tryout and then I was on TV. Then I main evented, then I won the title. Then I had Lucha underground and right after Lucha underground was where I hit that point where it was like, I have nowhere else to go, but, NXT or WWE. So I'm not taking no for an answer because now I have done everything that they've ever told me to do. I've changed my look. I've changed my character. I have, you know, won titles and made a huge name for myself. They can't deny me. So there was, even though they were saying no in between all that, I still had moments of like, no, but I know I'm good. Or like, no, but I know I'm the best that I can be right now. Right. Right. And was there anything in your head, right? When you go in for this tryout, especially because you asked for it, is there anything in your head where it's like, look, as good as I am, there's always that chance. Somebody isn't going to like me. Somebody, maybe I said something to somebody three years ago <laughs> and they're holding it against me. There is this, always this chance that this isn't going to pan out. Was there anything in your head where you go, okay, if this tryout doesn't pan out, what do I do from here? I think going into the tryout the first day, I had all those thoughts going through my head as I was driving there. Uh -huh. um, because like at that point, I had everything to lose. I, I had no other job. So this was it. I, I only gave myself this option. Um, but after the first day, on the very first day, we had promos. Uh -huh. um, and after that day, I knew. I was like, there's no way. There's no way they can deny me after I just did this ridiculous promo in front of everyone and I put it all out there and I look crazy, but I completely stood out. Right. So how can they say no to that? And, and you know, like we're getting in the ring and we're, we're bumping around and, uh, you know, there wasn't many other girls that could do that. So really all of those negative thoughts left my head um, the minute that that first kind of promo tryout section was done. Yeah, and we were at the same tryout, so I could vouch for that. The only promo that I remembered was hers. And that's funny because <laughs> the only part of, like, the whole tryout that I remember was your part in the match. The same show yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be amazing that you, Robert, are able to do something in a tryout, and they're like, all right, yeah, yeah, just do that. Yeah, they're like, like you still have the same shirt, you still have the same glasses. You're like, yeah, that, that seems right. right. Yep. Yep, that seems like you. It ain't rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you find out that you finally have made it. Do you 
what is the difference in your mentality, do you think, in getting here now or a year and a half ago or whatever it was when you've, I mean, spent years busting your ass to be successful in wrestling always with this goal on your brain versus showing up after six months of being, you know, in Canada or whatever, jumping on tough enough and getting it right away. I'm, I'm so happy it happened this way because now I know who I am. I'm so confident in what I bring to the table. Um, and I mean, even if you had have brought me here a year and a half, two years before, I, I would not have had that same confidence. I wouldn't have walked in the door knowing that I belonged here and I deserved this spot. Um, and now, you know, because this is a really tough place to be. There's always new faces coming in, always people like Bianca who can do 10,000 backflips and I can't, you know, but there's, there's no part of me now that is like, oh, I, well, I wish I was like that because I know what I bring to the table right. uh, and I'm totally okay with that. I would not have been that way three, four years ago. I mean, you also stepped into uh, what I think, and I've said many times is the most competitive women's division anywhere on the planet. The NXT women's division is, it's crazy loaded. You started in the battle Royal a couple of weeks ago. It's crazy loaded right now with talent on talent on talent. Like there's stuff you could do title matches for three years or more just based on the talent that they're not right now without one new face being added. And like you said, new faces are being added all the time. So I think you do, you must need to have not only that level of skill, but that level of confidence in what you bring to the table just in order to survive in that environment. Just in order to survive every day walking in the door. Yeah. Because we are in, you know, it's like going to the gym and you're going to the best gym in California and you, all you see are all these hot people that are muscular, they can jump higher than you, run faster than you. Like, you need to have confidence or else what are you even doing walking into that door? Yeah. So uh, who are the people? Well, what was it? Did you assume because NXT comes to USA, right? And everybody gets T-shirts right away and you start going like, OK, obviously the NXT brand and roster is expanding and there's going to be more time for characters to be on television. Were you surprised that it took you a few months before you ended up finding a character that worked on NXT TV? Or was that something where you were pretty patient about it? I'm not patient with anything in my career. So, <laughs> and I can't even lie to you. Like I, I have been fighting this entire time to figure out a character, to get on TV, to show that, you know, I, I'm worthy of the NXT brand. And, and it's been really tough, but they know what they're doing. Yeah, They know what they're doing with every single person here. And you can't deny that. That is why Seth Rollins is the way he is. You know what I mean? So it's like, Although I wasn't patient and I kept trying, I think that that's why we got here when we did. And that's why now we're going to be put on TV and you're going to see us as every week. We'll get right back into the Chelsea Green interview. But before we do, I want to tell you guys about ways that you can support Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling is a completely independent podcast that gets by on the support of people like you. And we've been doing so for years now. Of course, the number one thing that you can do, and it's absolutely free, is go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star rating and a very nice review for this episode and every episode. It helps more than you know. It helps with the algorithms and everything, and I just really appreciate you guys doing that 
as often as you possibly can. You can also go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash NotSamWrestling. It's where every week we post the interviews that we do here on this podcast, as well as clips from topical stuff and from the Thursday show that's exclusive to Patreon. Uh, Just this week, we put up our interview with R-Truth. Dan Moth is coming later in the week, uh, as well as Hot Topic Takes and whatnot, all available at youtube.com slash NotSamWrestling. Support the show. You can do it. I'll keep doing this. And let's get back to Chelsea Green. Has anybody, what, what was the what was the feedback on the pink coat that you debuted at the Royal Rumble? I mean, you showing up, because by the way, for anybody that doesn't know, I, you were literally walking around backstage in Houston with that coat on all day. You know, we talk about the fact that Robert Stone is not a storyline. <laughs> Chelsea Green and that coat are not storylines either. That storyline was that, that that coat was not waiting like next to the entrance for you to just put it on so you could make a big splash. That was that was your coat for the day. Just walking yes, everywhere. Big. That was, that was my coat for two days. I wore, <laughs> I wore that at Takeover too. <laughs> I, I made a splash at Takeover and then I just continued it onto Sunday. On uh, to Sunday, a big giant pink ski coat that reaches the floor. And in big silver letters, it says uh, Chelsea on the back. So, I mean, I admired it, and it caught my eye right away. And I'll tell you, because I feel like we've seen robes, we've seen capes, we've seen (laughs) crowns, we've seen all kinds of stuff. But I don't recall ever seeing, like, a ski parka like that before. And as ridiculous as it was, there was also something very showy and glam, glam about it. You know, it's just so me too. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm Canadian and very dramatic. And honestly, I've never seen a coat like that. When I saw it, I was like, I need that. And I need it bedazzled. <laughs> yeah. And I sent it to my lady and she was like, where in the hell did you find this thing? I need to get that thing in every color because I'm obsessed with it now. <laughs> the actual name of ski parka? Yes. It was a, real <laughs> ski- it was a legitimate ski parka that. I don't know who, but people would wear it to the mountain. <laughs> well, I would. That's yeah. And now you've got to find neon colors in every color so you can match it to your gear every <laughs> single time. I know. How am I going to live up to that? Like, I don't, I don't know, but I loved it so much. How do you, how do you, I, this is like the most fascinating thing to me and the whole, what the WWE life is. Cause I don't know if people and fans really can wrap their heads around because when when we look at superstars on television, that's how they come across. Like everybody that's on television, for the most part, feels like they belong there, looks like they belong there, they look like a superstar. But just from a human level, right? When we just talked about the fact that since October, you've been waiting not so patiently to figure out when am I going to get on TV. All of a sudden, you know, three weeks ago, you start this thing with Robert Stone. And then we just ramp right up and you are standing in a stadium, not an arena, a stadium, a baseball stadium full of people announcing yourself to the world. I mean, how do you process how quick it is from, oh, man, when are they going to use me to, oh, look at this. There's 50,000 people staring at my pink coat. I I think, uh, well, that was a dream that I had. I wanted everyone to stare at my pink coat. Um, (laughs) But I think you don't process it until the moment is over, until 
you have time to decompress and you're sitting on your couch or you're doing regular stuff like cleaning your cat's litter box and you're like, wow, two days ago, 50,000 people were chanting my name in a pink sparkly coat and now I'm back to doing my regular life. And it, then it's like, okay, wow, it's really crazy. Or sometimes I have moments where, um, you know, my, my regular civilian girlfriends like send me pictures like, oh my gosh, what? is your life like you come home at christmas and you're a normal human being and then you go out in the pink coat and booty shorts and you're like a totally different person um and then it's kind of like yeah it's, it's eye-opening it's crazy but in the moment um because i've worked so hard for all these little milestones uh, you know i i just enjoy it i i'm not like crazy nervous or anything like that i'm just taking it all in of course i'm nervous but i'm taking it all in and i love it and i know i'm meant to be there that, yeah, I think that's probably the most important part that like uh, imposter syndrome doesn't start to kick in or you don't have that because yes. I, I think I think that's where because I said most of the time you look at a person and, and you feel like they belong on TV. But it's any time a performer or a superstar starts to doubt themselves, I feel like that reads so loud oh, immediately. It, it totally does. And, and I felt that way for the first four years of my career because I was given opportunities that honestly, I didn't deserve. Uh, they were, you know, I was too new for them, for all of them. Um, and now I'm at that point where I'm not new. I wanted to be at this point in my career. You know, I, I couldn't wait to get five years into my career so that every single thing I did, I knew I deserved. And I'm, yeah, I'm completely at that point in my life now. Was there a moment earlier this year when it wasn't certain what brand you would be on when you started uh, doing, you showed up on Raw I think it was either the first Raw of 2020 or the last Raw of 2019. And then after that, for a few weeks, you were wrestling on main event. Was there a moment where it was like, let's see what this looks like. Maybe maybe since Chelsea hasn't debuted yet on NXT TV, maybe, maybe we'll just put her on Raw. We'll put her on SmackDown. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Hmm. Uh, I, I think I was just given an opportunity um, on that Raw to kind of show what I can bring to the table and I don't think that they were expecting to like me as much as they did I think that that's what happened I think it was just a one-time thing um and they liked kind of my attitude and my demeanor that I brought to the table and um they're always looking for the next fresh face to bring to the main roster um and and that was me so I did three weeks of raw four weeks of raw and then um I was already kind of planning to debut in NXT around this time so Back I went to NXT, <laughs> and it worked well because it, it's nice to have already put my face out there on the main roster, get this opportunity at NXT to build it, um, and then and then you know Rob and I get to show up back on the main roster pay per view. Right. Um, so it was it was a, a good kind of six or seven weeks for for us to prove ourselves. Yeah, just to start planting seeds so that when something exactly. happens, it's not like out of nowhere. Totally. And yeah. it was a, an amazing reception from the main roster crowd when I went out for Raw. I was really, really happy considering they really don't know who I am. They've never seen me on a WWE product. Um, so that was a nice little confidence boost to bring back to NXT. How does the Chelsea Green, Robert Stone brand connection formulate? Because there was all, I mean, there was also a moment where it felt like, you know, maybe you and Deanna Perazzo would be a tag team or at least some kind of faction or whatever it was working together. And that kind of, again, 
drifted away a little bit as you came out with uh, with Mr. Stone. Well, I mean, I don't want to speak for Roberts here, but I think that he's always open to new talent coming in. Um, so who's to say that it's just going to be him and I, you know? That's Who knows true. what's going to happen in the future? I, I don't know. But for now, I say when you see the numerous pictures that both of us are posting on a daily basis and you just look at us, I mean, isn't that just answer enough? I mean, dude, look at us. No, you're look right. Look at us. It's you're right. like it answers itself. No, I get it. I get it. What You, you were around Robert Stone for a while before you made your, your pick, you know, before you were around. Like you said, you were at the same tryout as, as Chelsea was. So you were both around. You were both waiting for that moment. What for you was it that made you say, yeah, Chelsea Green's the first person to uh, to represent the Robert Stone brand on television? I mean, she says it about herself, and then I say it. I just think she really is the total package moving forward in women's wrestling, the women's division. She looks great. She's great in the ring, and she speaks her mind. She does what she wants, when she wants. And that's what I'm looking for when I want someone that will take hold and be the future of this industry. Like I just see it in her when I look at her and I think everyone else will when she gets bigger opportunities, which I'll get her. You know, Chelsea, you were talking about realizing these moments that happened as you're at home doing regular home stuff, changing your cat's litter, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> something my wife has to deal with. I know something that you have to deal with is uh, oh, having no. <laughs> <laughs> large packages of action figures show up at the door on a fairly consistent basis when you're sitting there, right? And you're in the afterglow of one of your great moments, whether it's uh, appearing at the Royal Rumble or just knowing, okay, I'm on NXT and this storyline is going forward. And I know who my character is and, oh, here's the UPS guy. And there's a box of LJN prototypes that cost $15,000. What is going on? Uh, how does that all process? How does that compute? Well, really, pisses me off honestly it, you know what bugs me the most when i drive home from a long day of work and i go to to stop at the mailbox get my paycheck and then actually i'm not stopping to just grab an envelope i'm stopping to grab like 10 packages to then take from the mailbox into my car and then from my car into the house that really um yeah really bugs me yeah and he knows that he gets a text every monday and I'm like what the hell did you buy this week <laughs> but you can't you know he, he loves what he loves what am i gonna do you yeah you took it you knew going in that this is who this person was that's what i tell my wife too you knew going yes. in what you were getting into there's no lies there's no disguises you agreed to it and so welcome no, I to life knew. i knew because when i went on one of our first dates i built the shelf that all his Funkos are on <laughs> and I should have known right then that was when I should have like tapped out, but I didn't, I continued. So now I'm, I'm in very deep. Do you I have know what a Funko is? <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea through osmosis. Do you have more, uh, action figure knowledge than you should probably ever have? Oh, a hundred percent. Like the fact that I know what LJNs are. It, like if you had have asked me that three years ago, uh -huh. I didn't know what a Funko was either. I had no idea. And now I literally could probably, I definitely like know all the expensive things Yeah. in the cabinet. Just in case he dies, I will be taking those expensive things <laughs> with me. Um, I know like every Funko that is in our cabinet, everything. It's ridiculous. 
But I guess it's also like you got to you got to make videos for like insurance purposes just in case God forbid you're like no you don't understand. There was $200,000 worth of toys in that room. <laughs> oh yeah, I asked him. I know all that like the the information about like insurance and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I know it all because I'm like God forbid anything happens <laughs> to this room. Like it's terrifying. <laughs> now, has Robert Stone imparted on to you the wisdom that he has imparted on to me in the past? probably, I don't know, a year or more, maybe two years ago at this point, for all the knowledge that your husband has about action figures and buying them, Robert Stone has on getting things for free. <laughs> I, I also knew that was going to come, but <laughs> I am a freebie kind of gal too. Mm-hmm. So I think that we both have that mindset. We're, we're business people. You know, I knew it was time. I was very glad when I found out that Robert Stone got signed to WWE because I knew it was time for a change in his career when towards the end of his run uh, on the independence, I asked him straight out, what get, what, what is your passion? What gets your, your blood moving? Is it spending a weekend wrestling in front of a hot crowd or is it getting home on the Monday, going to your PO box and, and, seeing all the free stuff. And he told me at that time, he told me without a doubt, it was the Monday and getting to his PO box. This is how how the rich get rich. Oh my God. I was just going to say that. I was literally just thinking that. Yeah. You just keep getting stuff for free. Yeah. I mean, Robert, it must boggle your mind when Chelsea is like, Oh yeah, you bought this on eBay and you're like bought. It makes no sense to me. And now the great thing about my situation now is now, it's not just, you know, Robbie E trying to get free stuff. It's WWE superstar Robert Stone. So now, I mean, I have moved up in the ranks. It's yeah. not just protein bars and protein jugs. I mean, right. talking mattresses are waiting at my house. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I mean, my my three year old twins and my five pound chihuahua are fully taken care of. They don't spend a penny on anything. Plus, I mean, and my that... wife's doing pretty good. I mean, pretty good. <laughs> That's the beauty of what you're doing now. That you are not just a man; you are a brand, and therefore right. you can sit there and go, like, wouldn't you want your mattress to be represented by the Robert Stone brand and the mattress companies? Yeah, I mean, that really does sound great. I, you know, I thought about that the other day as I was getting my free Botox. I was thinking that's the same thing, and I'm not kidding. No, I didn't. Think, I wasn't laughing because I thought you were kidding. I, I, I believed you 100%. Uh, Chelsea, as you look at the landscape of NXT and you know you, obviously you know you better than anybody else knows you because you're the one who said, look, just give me a tryout and you will hire me. And they were like, oh, okay. And you were right. You know, you were the one who said, let me do this and it'll work. You were right. I mean, it seems like at this point in your career, you know you better than anybody else. What do you realistically see for yourself in the near future across the landscape of women in NXT? Um, I think exactly what what Robert would say. Like, I think I'm going to the top and there's no one that can stop me. It doesn't matter if I get the opportunity or not. Like, I can prove myself in the ring in a five-minute match. I can prove myself, you know, on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, with the amount of followers that I have. I can prove myself if you give me a mic. So, really, even if, you know, you don't see me on TV as much as you'd like to or as much as I'd like to be seen, I know where I'm going. And I can prove that in two minutes. 
So when you're in a match like the Royal Rumble and you know, you know, we're not, you know, it's not your time to win the Royal Rumble, let's say. Is it better to have that sort of just here's my two minutes and that's it? Or would you have rather, you know, spent some time in there? Um, It's tough to say because I think it's all about making a moment. Yeah. You know, and and I don't necessarily think being in there for five to ten minutes means that you have a moment. Mm -hmm. I I think it means that you're in there for five to ten minutes. But I had a moment. Mm -hmm. I I had my moment. Um, I I did exactly what I wanted to do in that amount of time. I eliminated somebody. Um, You know, the, the camera got my pose. And that's all that matters to me. <laughs> when it comes down to it, people are going to remember that moment better than they're going to remember me being in there for five minutes and kind of just putting, putting around and trying to eliminate someone or trying to get a, you know, a forearm in here or there. I would, I would rather have my 10 seconds and, and have it mean, you know, way more to me. Yeah, you have something for the slow-mo moment on the Chelsea Green video package. Exactly. And the big Royal Rumble sign is in the back, and you're good to That's go. That's all I need it. Yeah. Let's play fantasy. Uh, it's TakeOver. You get your NXT championship match. Finally, you've worked and worked and worked for it. Who would you like – who, who, if you had an NXT championship match, would you like to be the woman that represented NXT? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? So who would I want my competitor to be? Yes, yes. Rhea, Rhea Ripley. I would like, uh, I would like Candice as well. Candice and I, we have some history together, so I like that. But um, I just think Rhea, you know, if you want to be the man, you have to beat the man. I really do think that that is Rhea. And so I think that going toe to toe with her is going to prove to everybody um, that, you know, I can represent NXT. Yeah. No, I think that's the right answer. I think it is one of those things where you would go, okay, because immediately, if you saw that on a piece of paper, this is the match that's coming up, you go, that's interesting. Like, I don't know if I can picture what that match would look like. And that's where you would get the opportunity to kind of either show. And I always, I'm like a very visual person. I really like, Rhea knows who she is. She doesn't stray away from that. Visually, in her character, everything, the way that she looks is completely opposite than me. And I know who I am, and I don't stray away from that. And I'm, I don't shy away from the fact that I look like a diva, and that's how I've always wanted to look, and that's how I will always want to look. And so I kind of like that difference. Now, that I also think would draw people to that match because they think that why would a diva take on someone like Rhea? Mm-hmm. And I like that as well, like the unexpected. You know, you can't judge a book by its cover. Just because I wear pink and furry parkas does not mean <laughs> that I can, you know, that I can, uh, can't take on someone who wears studs. Yeah, no, that's right. And I do. I think we should say parka as much as possible because I don't know that there's ever been parkas in wrestling before. <laughs> and that can be, it's so difficult in 2020 to innovate. And I yeah. feel like that parka is innovative, if nothing else. <laughs> who are the people that you, when you look at your career, like especially when you were younger and you were coming up, who were the people that you feel like influenced you and who were the people that helped you along the way? Um, well, just watching wrestling, it would be Trish, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that have influenced me, there's three people right off the bat. Um, Lance Storm, mm-hmm. of course. Billy Gunn, because Billy Gunn was my coach on Tough Enough. And people don't realize, but that then kind of like trickled into real life. 
and him and his wife like really, really helped me get settled um, and helped me kind of get back into wrestling after Tough Enough. Um, and Gail Kim, of course, because Gail Kim is absolutely amazing and she really pushed for me an impact and had my back and, and she's been amazing. Do you think at all, I mean, you talked about having a match with Pentagon, you know, we know what Impact is doing now with their uh, world championship and everything. Do you think about intergender wrestling and, and what the future of that is or or is that not really something on your radar so much? I have never been a massive fan of intergender wrestling. I know that right now in 2020, anything can happen. I will watch it. I, I will, you know, bravo to the, the females that are going to do it. But I am totally happy staying in my lane. And my lane right now is the women's championship. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, I might change my mind in five years. But right now, that's what I'm focusing on. I could never see myself getting in a ring and wrestling Zack Ryder. Do you know what I mean? I just don't see, I, I just, I really don't see that happening because if I were to try to put him in an arm bar in our kitchen, it ain't happening. <laughs> right. Like it's just not, it's right. just not. Right. So right now I'm going to stay in my lane. However, I think if you ask that question to Rhea Ripley, would it be different? Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just a matter of their own take on it. Yeah. And I, I respect it, but, um, I, I like where I'm going in respects to women's wrestling. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I think size and physicality is the answer I'm to all those questions. I'm not pretending to right? be the most buff girl in the world. Right. I might be able to outrun some people. I, I can, you know, high fly when I'm wrestling Pentagon. But at the end of the day, Pentagon won that match. <laughs> right. At the end of the day, I took like 10 package pile drivers. Right. Right. So I, pro I don't really want to do that again. No, that makes sense. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either, and that's probably the position I would find myself into. Uh, well, Chelsea, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Robert Stone, you're you're a brand now. You're not a wrestler. You're I don't not. Get punched. No. Yeah. You're, uh -huh. you're done. This whole this whole competing in the ring thing is for the birds, as far as you're concerned. I mean, it was already done 15 years ago, but I mean, now it's really done. <laughs> well, look, uh, congratulations to both you guys uh, on everything that you guys are doing right now. Um, and Chelsea, congratulations to you on finding Robert Stone, who is working for you so much that he is going and reaching out to people and going like, Hey, you got to talk to my client. And I'm going, all right. Yeah. Yes. Easy. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is why we're going to be legends. I think so. I think so. It is, it is, it is a wonderful thing. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks, dude. Here is Sam Roberts. All right. A big thank you to the one and only Chelsea Green and, of course, Robert Stone uh, for hooking the thing up. Uh, before we uh, end the show, I do want to talk about a few things. The XFL debuted this week, uh, and I've watched a whole bunch of it. I don't watch football. I mean, I watch the Super Bowl. I'll watch a game here and there. But I really could care less about football in general. But I was very interested in the XFL. For those of you that don't know the story of the original XFL, I'm sure that you do, but I would strongly recommend watching ESPN's 30 for 30 on the XFL. Dick Ebersol's kid, Charlie Ebersol, did it. He did a fantastic job. It goes into the relationship that Dick Ebersol and Vince McMahon uh, had and still have to this day uh, and how the XFL kind of started and what they did right and what they did wrong. And it's really interesting because if you watch this weekend, 
you saw the XFL changing some things. You saw that this is not coming in with the approach that the original XFL came in with. Number one, they're not coming in out as if they're competing with the NFL. They're not even offering an alternative to the NFL. They're saying, we'd like to offer you some good football to watch if you want to continue watching football after the Super Bowl is over. That's it. And I think that's a very, very smart thing to do. There's no reason to make somebody pick between the XFL and the NFL. They're not even on at the same time. People say like, oh, you don't need to pick between AEW and NXT. You kind of do. They're on at the same time. You can only watch one live. You've got to pick a loyalty there. Whether it's the XFL or the NFL, you could say, yeah, in February, I prefer the XFL. But in November, I prefer the NFL because, you know, you're pretty safe when you make that bet. So as I'm watching and I'm talking, first of all, you look at Twitter, and that's the first place I looked because Twitter knows everything. But I looked at the reviews that uh, the XFL games were getting, and I couldn't believe how positive they were. Not because I was watching and I disagreed, but because people are were so ready to call the XFL a flop, you know? I mean, the original XFL season started by making history with how good the ratings were on a Saturday night on NBC. By the time that first season was done, they were making history by how bad the ratings were. I mean, they literally in one season went from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain. And a lot of the issues, um, a lot of the issues were out of their hands. There was, uh, there were some technological issues, but a lot of it had to do with the fact that they didn't have a handle on what the product was. They weren't, they didn't have great football on the screen. They, they and they tried to put too much wrestling into the football. When at the end of the day, you're not trying to get wrestling fans to watch football. You're trying to get football fans to watch football. Um, and I think that that's what they're doing now. But if you watch, you can see how good Vince McMahon and the people around the WWE are. Because as a non-football fan, I'm watching. And people are already impressed around me at the quality of the game. And even I can watch it and see like, okay, this is, this is good football. And when you think about it, the NFL has an extremely limited number of spots. Now think about how many kids go through high school playing football, go through college playing football. Every major college in the country has a football team. And for the most part, those college players dedicate themselves entirely to the game when they're at school. You'll be lucky if one or two of them end up in the NFL. What happens to the rest of that team of players that are very good just not quite good enough to be at the NFL yet. What happens to the players that go to the NFL for a season and are very good, but there's just somebody in that position that's a little bit better. There's space for those players. Like there are good football players that aren't in the NFL. And that's what the XFL has. People are saying, they're looking at it now going, oh, so this could be like an NFL feeder system. And it's like, yeah, like what if the XFL it's kind of an NXT to the NFL. There's something there, right? Um, so there you got it. People like the rules changes. And most of the rules are the same. They did say when they started that it was gonna they were going to make rules that make the game shorter. But so far, the games haven't really been any shorter. They've still been about three hours. Um, but the kickoff is different. The extra points are different. The overtime rules are different. 
You know what I mean? It's just little tweaks that people are enjoying. People think make the game more exciting. I think it's genius that the XFL is putting an emphasis on the betting part of it. People love betting on sports. And that the XFL is not shying away from it, that they're leaning in to the sports gambling community, something that the NFL really has been dancing around for a long time. I think that that's genius. But I think that the most genius thing that the XFL is doing is they're maintaining, they got football announcers in there, they got football people on the field. It's a football company. But everything is mic'd. That's what I love about the XFL. Everything is mic'd. The players have mics on them. You can tap into them at any time. I like, some people don't like, I like the fact that there are sideline reporters that are running around that if a guy blows a play, the sideline reporter is right there. We're not waiting until the press conference after the game. We're literally, as he's walking off the field, there's a reporter with a mic in his face. There was already an F-bomb dropped on ABC on the first game because the player wasn't really ready for that. But great, it's real life. You know, I just watched, as I was uh, taping this podcast, right before I got on, they had to go to a replay and they actually were had a camera in the room and were filming the replay analysis. They were filming the guy who's in charge of looking at the replays and calling the play. And they filmed him and they mic'd him and you got to see the entire process. And I think, you know, the same way wrestling fans love to see the backstage stuff. They love to see how everything works. I think it's the same with football fans. I think it's the same with fans uh, of anything. You love to see the intricacies of it. You love to see how it works. And I think that's what the XFL is doing really, really well. You know, I think the XFL is going to be successful. I don't think it's going to be this sort of, you know, pop culture phenomenon that's going to destroy the NFL. I just think it's going to be a successful secondary league. There really hasn't been a hugely successful secondary league. In fact, Dick Ebersol's kid that did the documentary, Charlie Ebersol, had the same idea as Mr. Vince McMahon. He tried to start last year his own secondary football league. It tanked. It bombed. You know? They spent some time actually developing football teams and making sure they had good football to put on the field before the TV cameras started rolling this time. They didn't do that last time. Last time, they hired the players like two months, sometimes one month, before the games actually started to be televised. This time, not so much. There's also not these high expectations on them this time. Now, the beauty is that we're coming from an expectation of failure. So all we can do is succeed, and I think that's what the XFL is doing. So it's been really cool to see. And it kind of reminds you that, yeah, you know, we can say whatever we want about Vince, but the guy is a genius. The guy is an outright genius. So, you know, you can see it for yourself. And I would recommend checking it out just as a wrestling fan. Um, a couple of things, uh, SmackDown this week, um, I was probably with a lot of people that I was surprised that Carmella won that fatal four way and became the number one contender for the SmackDown women's championship, but I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I think that a lot of people were expecting Naomi to get that victory, but I think that Carmella needs it more. I think that even though Naomi just returned, I don't even think Naomi realized how much people missed her. I, I I think that she has returned and is immediately top of the food chain. People are looking at her, whether she wins or loses that fatal four-way, people are looking at her like she is one of, if not the biggest female stars on SmackDown. 
and I think that they're still looking at her. You know what I mean? I think that I think that Carmella was in this spot where ever since the R Truth thing ended, the R Truth uh, pairing ended, that she hasn't really been looked at as a serious competitor for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Even though she's held the title, even though she won Money in the Bank, like she should be in that conversation. But because she just hasn't been doing that, she's not in that conversation. And I think it's really important that she be there. I think that this victory puts her back in the conversation, and I don't think it takes Naomi out of the conversation at all. You know, I think it's the contrary. I think, you know, if Carmella were to go and win the SmackDown Women's Championship from Bailey, the first question people would have is, when is Naomi getting that opportunity? And, you know, who knows? Maybe I'd like to see Bailey and Naomi probably at WrestleMania more than Carmella and Naomi, only because I think Bailey has become more of a heel. And I mean, Carmella's good at being a heel, but I think people like her right now. And people love Naomi, so I don't know if that's the match. It is interesting because you watched, uh, remember that uh, that reality show, the the documentary show? What was it called? It wasn't tough enough that they had on the WWE Network, maybe something road or something that William Shatner did the uh, voiceover for. And they were basically showing that current roster of NXT talent and what they go through on a day-in and day-out basis. It's great. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. I don't remember what the name of it was, unfortunately, but I've probably watched it three or four times. I'll watch it again because it's also really interesting because all the people that are on it now are like main event people. Um, You know, you even see Aaliyah, who you now finally see on NXT television all those years ago trying to find her character. It's it's, It's really interesting. Like I said, it's one of those things like the XFL turning on all their mics that wrestling fans want to see. They want they want more, more, more. Like, show me what's going on behind the scenes. Um, but on it, you know, you really get a clear indication of how close, at least at that point, the friendship between Bailey and Carmelo is or was. So I think it'll be interesting, you know, watching these two. I think a lot of times when two people are real life friends, it makes for great matches. Because there's no, number one, like attracts like. So generally speaking, if somebody's good, they're going to be friends with other people that are good. Number two, you want the best for your friend. If you have a real friendship, you just want the match to be good. There'll be no selfishness at all. Not that there ever is in a Bailey or Carmella match, but they would just be even more invigorated to not only showcase themselves as being as good as possible, but they'll be invested in making their friend look as good as possible because they actually want that to happen. And number three, they'll want to put out the greatest match possible because they'll want to do it again. Why wouldn't you want to work with your friend? The best way you can guarantee that you're going to work with your friend is do amazing matches with them. So it's what the fans want to see. So I think that it's a good pairing, and I think that it's going to be really interesting. But I definitely think that Naomi is due and will get her time to shine for sure. Um uh, I, I, I'm I very interested in what's going on with Braun Strowman right now because there was a time when I came on this show and I said that I thought that the WWE looked at Braun Strowman like the new girlfriend that they knew they should be with and would be with, but right now they were in a relationship with Roman Reigns. Uh, they decided to patch up their relationship with Roman Reigns and not go with the new girl, Braun Strowman, uh, and that was evident in you know, what happened with Braun Strowman in the last year or so. 
But they're making a huge deal out of him winning the Intercontinental Championship. They're really, they're once again drifting out of Braun Strowman attraction mode and slipping back into Braun Strowman superstar mode, which I think is very interesting because if you have Braun Strowman as an attraction, then he's really just there to have the big smash him up matches, break the ring every now and then, tip over an ambulance, do all that amazing stuff which I'm cool with. I think Braun Strowman's amazing. But there was a period of time, right around when he won the Greatest Royal Rumble, where they were slipping into Braun Strowman face of the company superstar mode. And this is the first time in at least a year, him winning the Intercontinental Championship, that it feels like they're slipping back into that. And the thing about Braun Strowman is, if he's not going to be an attraction, he has to be the top guy. It doesn't work if Braun Strowman is third from the top, second from the top. Like, the only way Braun Strowman works as a superstar and not an attraction is if he beats Roman Reigns and is the guy. And I don't know that I see that happening. So I'm very interested to see where this thing goes with Braun Strowman. I also love, I I, I mean, can we just say it? Poor Apollo Crews. What does the guy got to do? Poor Apollo Crews. I mean, man, I don't know what he does at this point. Maybe he's happy where he's at. I don't know. But, yeah, poor Apollo Crews. Um, I thought Heath Slater really shined on SmackDown. I love, love the idea. First of all, it's so funny. And I think they should do more with the fact they try to make it seem like the three-man band all went on to do amazing things. It's like, whoa, pump the brakes on there. Jinder Mahal went on to win the WWE Championship. Amazing. Drew McIntyre is about to main event WrestleMania and is flirting with the idea of being the top good guy in the company. Amazing. By the way, if you had to ask me right now, I would say the Drew McIntyre-Brock Lesnar match is bigger than the Roman Reigns match at WrestleMania. If you had to ask me right now. May change before we get to WrestleMania, but... um, And then... uh, 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 you got Heath Slater after that. Who, like, I mean, he hasn't failed, but he's not anywhere near either of those two things. I mean, half the time he's not even on television. I love, though, I love the idea of Heath Slater being that guy who thinks he's being your friend, but is really just bothering you. Like, I, I loved seeing Heath Slater on that show on SmackDown thinking that he was being a friend to Daniel Bryan only to find out that Daniel Bryan wanted to kill him and then going to the ring and killing him. Like Heath Slater being the annoying best friend who people beat up, I think is a great gimmick for Heath Slater. He pulled it off beautifully on SmackDown. I was really entertained by it. I thought he was an MVP of the show on Friday. I hope they keep doing that with Heath Slater because I thought it was great. I turned to my wife and I was like, how great was that what they just did with Heath? It was so funny. Uh, we got, uh, NXT. Well, first of all, you know, it's so funny. All this, you know, internet news that comes out first, you know, oh, I heard that Brock Lesnar confronted Matt Riddle backstage. Look, I saw when Goldberg confronted Matt Riddle backstage. That was a confrontation. I was like, this is awkward. This is uncomfortable. This is real life. 
I didn't hear anything about any Brock Lesnar-Matt Riddle confrontation until after I got home from Houston at the Royal Rumble. But I read, Brock Lesnar said, I'll never work with you, Matt Riddle. And then the next thing I read was, there was a meeting with all the talent and they were told, don't challenge the main roster. My take on Matt Riddle is what I said a couple weeks ago, which is, I don't think business-wise it makes sense for Matt Riddle to constantly, constantly be calling out Brock Lesnar on Twitter. Not because I think it's bad for any, I, I, I think it's bad for Matt Riddle. I think if you're going to call out people on Twitter, call out people you can actually face. If you're going to call somebody out on Twitter, call somebody out that can actually respond to you. Call out Tommaso Ciampa. Call out somebody that's on your roster. Call out somebody that you can actually build a story with. Call out somebody that that all the buzz from this tweet can translate to money. Calling out Brock Lesnar, it's like, we're not doing that. We know we're doing Drew McIntyre, Brock Lesnar. If you had a Matt Riddle, Brock Lesnar match today, Brock Lesnar would just crush Matt Riddle because Matt Riddle's not at that point. So I, I, I don't know what the benefit is. Same thing with the Goldberg thing. Like, of all the people on the roster who might take out Goldberg, right now, today, it's not Matt Riddle. Maybe in the future, but today it's not. So what good does it do to call him out on Twitter? Instead, call out Finn Balor. Call out Johnny Gargano. And why don't you call out Finn Balor? Hey, Finn, you suck since you've been back. I'm a better wrestler than Finn Balor ever was in NXT. And then we can get the takeover and do a Matt Riddle-Finn Balor match and, like, people will care. Instead of being like, oh, did you see what Matt Riddle, uh, he, what he said about Brock Lesnar on, on Twitter? Let's watch this tag match where Brock Lesnar's not in it. Doesn't make sense to me. Stupid. But I also think that a lot of the internet reporting is stupid because Matt Riddle was at an NXT house show and he grabbed the microphone in Las Vegas this weekend and he said, he's, I'm going to retire Brock Lesnar. On the microphone, in the arena. And somebody got it on, tw- on, on on video on their cell phone because it was public. So, you know, I don't know how serious these reports are that, you know, oh, Matt Riddle's being reprimanded. He was punished in the Royal Rumble because blah, blah, blah. Shut up. But I do think that it doesn't make sense what Matt Riddle's doing. Speaking of NXT, uh, we've got a uh, 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 takeover coming up this weekend that I'm really, really excited about. I mean, this takeover, and I'll talk about it more on the Thursday, not Sam Thursday, Patreon exclusive show, only because we've got an episode of NXT between now and then. But, I mean, loaded top to bottom. Adam Cole, Tommaso Ciampa, NXT championship match. I love it. I love the idea that uh, Adam Cole's going to beat Tommaso Ciampa. Maybe Tommaso Ciampa's lost a step. I think it's great. I love Tommaso Ciampa versus Adam Cole. I love Johnny Gargano versus Finn Balor. I Their promo last week on NXT was great. Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley is a great story. You know, looking at the year that Bianca Belair has had, that maybe I was right. Maybe a year ago she wasn't quite ready. But now she is. And Rhea Ripley's already looking past her at Charlotte. Love that story. You got the Undisputed Era versus the Broserweights. Like I said, Matt Riddle... I may not agree with what he's doing on Twitter, but all he's doing is creating a buzz. Everybody loves Pete Dunne. Then you got the street fight between Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai. I mean, you know, this is the, only the second 
NXT TakeOver show that's being done in in an arena that is not attached to a major WWE pay-per-view. This is just an NXT weekend. It's going to be going down to Portland. I will be there. Um, But I think it has the potential to be one of the best takeovers of the year. I mean, this lineup, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we'll, we'll consider it at the end of the year. Obviously, as of February, it will be the best NXT takeover of 2020. There's no way it can't be. But <laughs> I do think that at the end of the I I, I think it's going to be tough to match this card. This card sounds absolutely amazing. We'll talk about all of it on Thursday, not Sam Thursday. If you're not on Patreon, I will see you next Monday here on Not Sam Wrestling. You guys are the best. Love you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line.